Hey everybody, uh, before I get to my conversation with John Trapp, I wanted to remind you about RYM's summer conferences. If you go to rym.org conferences, you can check out information on the six different conferences we offer for students. Uh, part of the reason I'm bringing this up is John Trapp, who I'm about to speak with, is one of the main speakers at Middle School Texas. Uh, so be sure a lot of these conferences have already filled up, so be sure to jump in and try to register your church quickly. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John today. We, we go in a little bit of a different format, uh, so hopefully you'll uh, find it helpful. Be sure to check out our other podcasts as well. Here's my conversation with John. Oh, come and buy without money. Hello everyone and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a daily podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, we'll be talking to Reverend John Trapp. John, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to uh, talking to you. Um, John is actually, I forgot, we should have talked about that. You're, you're a board member of ROIM. I am, John. So this is uh, your... <laughs> My job could be on the line. Stay in line, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be listening very closely and paying attention to all the things. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, John, why don't you briefly just introduce yourself uh, to those listening, tell them, you know, where you grew up, where you are now, what you're doing in ministry, family, all that good stuff. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I grew up um, in Tuscumbia, Alabama. Anyone who's familiar with RYM worship, uh, I grew up, that's the same town that you maybe have heard Joe Deegan talk about. Joe and I actually grew up as uh, best friends, like really all through our lives in Tuscumbia, which is really fun. Um, not anymore, up, then. They hate not anymore. Time. No, we're yeah. done now. Yeah, <laughs> so over him. He's all big and famous now. Um, and uh, we, so I, I lived in Tuscumbia for 18 years, grew up in uh, at First Presbyterian Church in Tuscumbia, uh, was really well cared for there, really grew to love the church through. Uh, the ministry of the people there and the pastors uh, grew to love youth ministry through a couple um, men that I had who were really influential in my life as a middle schooler and a high schooler. I grew up going to RYM conferences. So uh, I remember being a seventh grader and uh, one of my youth pastors trying to convince me to wear a silver leotard to the uh, barbecue <laughs> dance. And uh, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on, and I wouldn't leave the I wouldn't leave the door at uh, <laughs> um, And then I didn't know I was going to be talking about silver leotards. There you go. Little, little uh, then I went to um, Vanderbilt University for undergrad. Got involved with RUF there. Um, met my wife at RUF at Vanderbilt, and she actually. Uh, decided to do the RUF internship after we graduated. We both graduated in 2007. And she was placed at North Carolina State. And so uh, we were we were dating at the time. We'd been dating for like seven months. But I decided to follow her out there because I uh, was in love with her and um, wanted to get a ring on her finger. And so we, I moved out there and uh, got a job as an HR recruiter for a year. And, um, I had actually met, uh, um, a pastor in Houston who had come and uh, been a speaker at an RUF conference we had when I was at Vanderbilt and he had 
begun buzzing in my ear about being a youth pastor in mm-hmm. Houston. And um, Chrissy and I had gotten engaged um, while she was doing her first year as the intern. And then we got married in May. And then, like, I'm not kidding, like two weeks after we got married, this pastor named Leo Schuster at Christ the King in Houston just put on the full court press and was like, man, we really want y'all to come here. Um, and so we moved to Houston. We decided we made the kind of life altering decision to move across country a month into our marriage, um, which ended up being a great thing for us. Um, and I was excited to, to go into ministry and I was a youth pastor at Christ the King for six years. God really used that time to help me um, discern that I wanted to be in ministry long-term. So I started going to seminary while I was there. And um, I, went to, I went to seminary at Redeemer Seminary in Houston. Um, their campus closed in Houston. They didn't have enough students. So I decided to go to Austin to finish. They had a campus in Austin at the time. And that's kind of how we ended up out here. Chrissy's from Austin, though, so she was excited to be here. and. Um, we were meanwhile having our third kid at that point. We have uh, now have five kids. Owen is eight, Lucy is five, George is four, Betsy's two, and we just had baby Hank two months ago. Kind of mm. crazy. You know what that's like, right? <laughs> yes, you're in the club. You're in the club, man, uh, of the, the five kiddos. We're in the five kiddo crazy club, um, yeah. which has yeah. been a total blessing we love it but we're not sleeping a lot right now <laughs> and look if you start to nod off in the podcast it's fine. <laughs> I can just start, you know talking to myself it's all right um look uh, you know as we heard just a little bit of your bio and, and just to let people know we're, we're going to do a little bit different format today and we'll tell you about that in just a minute but two things you did not mention in your bio um okay. one of those and i know i'm not getting the the terminology correct here, but like a mime champion of Tuscumbia, Alabama, or the state of Alabama, some kind of, what, what was it? I was the uh, Alabama state pantomime champion for in the year 2003. Wow. It's a pretty limited scope, you know? I mean, there weren't that many people in it, but uh, I That's the entire state of Alabama. The biggest trophy that I have. I played sports my whole life, and my biggest trophy is my pantomime trophy. So wow. I'm not sure if that's something to be proud of or sad about maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> do, you, do you still have the trophy? I do. Hmm. And yeah. maybe we could, I don't know, get pictures of that and, and have a link or something that people can check in the show notes. <laughs> my mom would love to text me a picture of my Panama trophy. <laughs> um, the, the other thing about John and he's going to downplay this, but he is a podcast aficionado. Uh, he does listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, Anyway, yeah, has, has just given a lot of helpful thoughts about this podcast as well as parenting today. And so it is kind of crazy. I mean, this is the third season of The Local Youth Worker, and I'm just now getting you on. And a RWAM board member. You think I would have been trying to get you on sooner. Up earlier. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all that to say, it's good, good to have you on. It's good to be here. Yeah, and, and so, John, too, uh, you did forget us forget to tell us what you're doing right now. So, so Oh, sorry, yeah. To, total so, years in student ministry, and then now what are you doing? So six years in student ministry. We got to Austin, and um, as I finished up seminary, 
um, here in Austin, I started to do a Bible study at UT with some of my old youth group kids. And at the time, and, and UT, University of Texas, because there I'm are some sorry. other people out I'm there. Sorry. I shouldn't. I grew up in SEC country. My bad, guys. Um, but uh, I started to do a Bible study with some of my students at UT Austin, and uh, it kind of blossomed into uh, RUF. I mean, we really RUF wasn't here at the time; it had been here before. Um, but uh, the RUF committee approached me while I was in seminary. I was like, hey, what if you, that Bible study you're doing just became RUF? And so um, it was really, that was really a dream come true. I mean, we really, we love the city of Austin. I love a lot of the students that are at UT Austin. Um, I love getting to know more of them. It has been a really fun dynamic that's kind of unique for me where I have these, I have kids in my RUF ministry that I've known since they were like, fifth graders at our church in Houston. Um, so it's kind of like, it's been a really cool thing to continue ministry to them. Um, like there was, there were some students who literally kind of moved with me when we came to Austin. So I had, there really wasn't even an interruption. I had them from seventh graders to they just graduated last year. So I kind hmm. of got to d- disciple them for almost like 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, today, those who listen, you know that uh, season three of the podcast, we were focusing on story, and we've been having people come on the podcast and share their stories. And we're going to do that today, but also do it kind of in a different format. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I said, uh, John is a podcast aficionado. And so, uh, just uh, yeah, a unique thought that he threw out was thinking about false narratives in ministry. Uh, thinking about those narratives that we, you know, just as anyone being a sinner is going to be listening to false narratives because we know we're in a broken world and we have a sinful heart. But thinking more specifically about those false narratives that we can often listen to uh, in ministry. Um, so, so that's really the approach today. I know we're kind of, again, like I said, taking it in a different direction, but this is our podcast and we can do that, right? You can do what we want. <laughs> I've heard, uh, I've heard some other. It's and I'll do what I want to. There you go. John Parrott, John Parrott <laughs> sang that to me. I just wanted to sing that for y'all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was listening to, um, I think, a Bill Simmons podcast recently. And they completely, you know, quote unquote, broke their own rules. But like they said, hey, it's their podcast. So yep. hopefully this is just, you know, an interesting uh, direction to take the podcast uh, for you who listen. Um, so yeah, we're going to be getting into John's story, maybe my story just a little bit, but talking about these false narratives uh, that we listen to. Um, so John and I, we really haven't discussed this very much. Uh, we're kind of, I mean, he's got some barbershop <laughs> style. That's right. He's got some bullet points. I have some as well on some possible false narratives. We'll, we'll see where this conversation ends up. But John, I thought maybe one, uh, that might be kind of the go-to that everybody, thinks as maybe the most common false narrative falls in maybe a category of, you know, people pleasing. Mm, yeah. And and we can, you know, throw that phrase out as kind of a catch all. I mean, there's just so much that, that can fall under that category. And, and sometimes, you know, we can even say it as, Oh, I'm just, I'm a people pleaser. And, and it almost, it seems like I've heard somebody else say this. Like it, it sounds when you say, 
people pleaser, that almost makes it sound like, hey, it's a good thing. You know? It's yeah, it's like, like when you're in the interview and they're like, what's your weakness? Like, I work too hard. <laughs> exactly. I care too much. I want to <laughs> please people. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it can give it this kind of nice terminology. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we get the gist. I'm not confronting or shaming anyone who might use that term. But Yeah, to, what's to, underneath to, all that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and, and to think of – you know, in my own ministry, I mean, just the the need uh, to to make parents happy and to yeah. to make parents pleased with me. I mean, I needed to have students like me, um, and so when I start to quote unquote people please the, these categories, you know, I can begin to act and do certain things that I don't even agree with or <laughs> um, think they're you know biblically correct i mean even making statements of wow i can't believe i said that why did i say that oh it's because i really need their approval of me um you know and and then kind of on the spectrum and i want you to jump in in here not only do i need them to approve me but then also kind of the other end of the spectrum well if this parent or this student does not like me or does not think i hung the moon then i'm going to shun them then i'm going to just you know, let them feel my cold shoulder, um, yeah. kind of quote unquote pay penance for <laughs> yeah. wronging me. Um, th- yeah. Does that resonate with you? I mean, do you feel like that might be the most common? Yeah, I, I'm less of a, I'm going to give you a cold shoulder instead. I'm just going to like suck up to you as much as possible and just like try as best as I can to get you to like me. And if you don't, then I'm just going to be really sad about it. Hmm. Um, but I do think, I mean, what, what you're saying, like these, there's these false narratives that we tell ourselves. And uh, I think a huge one is like, yeah, if, if people are happy with me, then that means I'm doing good ministry. And if people, if people are glad with the work that I'm doing, then that means that I'm successful. Um, and it might, it, it's actually, Reminds me of something that one of my seminary professors, uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, used to say is that our job is, your job as a minister or as a youth worker is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And um, I think there's maybe some people with like more prophetic gifts who like to disturb the comfortable, but I think by and large, um, most of us probably fall under the category of like of enjoying the, the comforting, the disturbed aspects of our job. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're doing kind of what all of biblical ministry looks like, um, like a more holistic view that, that does mean that sometimes we're, we're going to disappoint people or maybe even going to say things to people that they don't like to hear. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious. So, cause you were kind of getting into this a little bit, you said, that uh, like when you see yourself believing that, that it kind of manifests in different behaviors. Do you have any, like, what's an example of that? Like, where do you see that happening when you, you're like acting a certain way and you kind of stop and think about and, and you realize, I think I'm people pleasing right now. Like, what's the fruit that your people pleasing bears? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of different uh, fruit. I mean, one of them is just a, a constant stress slash anxiety of, I mean, like you said, 
I do, I would often go to that, that place of, okay, I can tell I'm not connecting with this student, but I'm going yeah. to get them to like me. Yeah. So it's yeah. like my, my, my mind's going through this Rolodex of like personalities and likes, dislikes, jokes. Okay. Mm. What could I ask them? What can I talk to them about? What are their interests to kind of draw them in? And so there's a sense in which that can be a good thing. I mean, there, there's a sense in which maybe we could say that's kind of like Paul becoming all things to all men. Totally. Um, to, to, to win them to Christ. And so not trying to discourage that if there are those out there, but also just kind of the, the internal fruit of just anxiety. I mean, just trying so hard. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, to win the student. That reminds me of something Joe Novenson uh, I've heard say before, where he talks about personal stewardship. There's just, mm-hmm. there's these things that God has given us. Um, and, you know, we all have these different kinds of spiritual gifts that God has given us. But I think for a lot of people who are called into um, youth ministry, many of them are generally intuitive, socially intuitive people. And I think because you maybe have like a higher social intuition, you can maybe read a room pretty well like, mm. and evaluate how people are doing. How are people experiencing things? How are people even experiencing me? And like you said, that's not necessarily a bad thing to be mm-hmm. able to read a room, but we can be good stewards of that or bad stewards of that. Like we can, we can be good stewards of that and read a room and see who are people who are hurting, who are people who are lonely, who are people who need a friend. I'm going to help connect them. I'm going to help serve them. But what I'm very prone to do, uh, because I believe the false narrative of I need people's approval in order for me to be okay, what I do is I almost weaponize that or just use it for myself. Um, what is really a gift from God to be able to kind of intuit how people are doing. Uh, but instead, uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm just using that to kind of keep score with how, how they're viewing me mm-hmm. and how am I doing and what can I do to, to make that person have a better time. Um, I, mean, I, I can remember being at youth ministry conferences and kind of running myself ragged because I was trying to control everyone's experience of the conference. The yeah. time. Yes. Like I know that kids maybe not having that much fun. So I better go and play with them or get them involved in the volleyball game. And Oh my goodness, that person over there is. And I remember here talking to a buddy and he was just like, John, we can't control people's experience of our ministry. And I think it's just so easy to, to want to try to wrangle that when we're believing the mm-hmm. narrative, the false narrative of people's approval is what justifies me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, it's kind of, as you just said, as we're kind of talking about the pros and cons of this, of the, the aspects of this, that, that can be a, a good thing. Um, I was thinking about, I was reading um, Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd Jones mm-hmm. recently and him throwing this out there, and it's, it's something that, you know, I've heard before, but the, the way in which he put it, which I'm not going to be able to, to repeat in the way that he does. But okay, Just do it with a British accent. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'll let you do the accent. Um, it's just what we have to see, that our strengths are also our weaknesses. Yeah. Um, that there's gifts that we have. Like you said, I mean, just be more socially intuitive and, and looking at a room and the reality, I think of those in ministry. I mean, we know we have a spectrum of personalities in the ministry that we're dealing with. 
And so we are trying to think, I mean, just the, the broad categories of extrovert, introvert, and trying to think of, okay, how can I best reach this person? How can I reach that person? How can I unfold this person? And so we're, we're looking, analyzing all of these people. Um, and so that can be a good thing as we're looking and thinking about all these people's um, personalities. But also, I mean, the, the negative is it just starts to make us stress out and worry and it's up to us. And yeah, we're, I mean, like you said, we're buying into that, that false narrative. Um, that could just, uh, you know, run us ragged and destroy us. And, and totally. uh, that, that does kind of feed into another false narrative that I have. Um, uh-huh. But I know I haven't let you lead off with the no. false narrative. Well, I think I know what you're going to say. And it's one okay. that I completely resonate with. And I may say it in different words than you would. But for me, when I'm, when I'm viewing the world through the lens of, I need approval and I, I have to get it through my work. Then I begin believing the narrative that my, the false narrative that my productivity is what makes me valuable. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and so that is just the, the recipe for running yourself ragged in ministry. I remember this, uh, the first year I was in youth ministry in Houston. So I, get there. I'm 23 years old. So excited to be doing youth ministry to get to pour into students the same way that I was poured into. You know, I've got this image in my mind of like, I'm going to impact somebody the exact same way that my youth pastor impacted me. And it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to do it. And so I like my solution to that rather than prayer and asking God to do the work, (laughs) all the sort of things that we would affirm to be true was just to schedule a ton of stuff. Mm. I just, we got busy and new Sunday school options, new youth group evening options, events, every single weekend trips, mission trips. I just like planned out our calendar to the gills. And I remember I kind of had this like epiphany moment towards the end of the first semester of doing this, we were having our second lock-in <laughs> of two weeks. <laughs> we had, oh we had <laughs> a high school lock-in on like November the 10th. And then November 17th, we decided to do a middle school lock-in, which is even more insane to do the middle school one after the high school one. I, I would so, do a lock-in every other year, just for the record. So two. Yeah. <laughs> I never. Well, after this story, I never did another lock-in. I only did a lock-in the first <laughs> semester of being a youth pastor. And so, like, we do just lock-in, and it's at a laser tag place in Houston. <laughs> it's a laser tag lock-in, and <clears throat> I remember getting there at like nine o'clock at night and parents were going to start showing up and dropping off their kids. And we were going to be there playing laser tag till six in the morning. Mm. And (laughs) dude, I like the first, the first parent walks in and we're at this like kind of crummy rundown place, like (laughs) way outside of the city in Houston. And uh, it's in like a strip center, you know? And uh, the, this mom walks in and I look above her and a rat the size of like <laughs> like a, a house cat <laughs> runs across the beam like over her head she doesn't see it it runs across the beam and like scurries into a hole in the wall and i was like oh my god what in the world am i doing here <laughs> we're about to be here for nine hours and then like with the laser tag thing you're 
you go in and you play like a really long form game of laser tag because it's like you know time is just doesn't matter at this point so you go in there's like you play and it's 45 minutes of like music and you come out you exit and you're in an arcade and it's like music like what are we doing and they're my goodness it was sensory overload but it really was an epiphany moment of just I can't do this. Mm. And I don't think this is helping anyone. And the other thing that I noticed too is like people would come to the laser tag lock-in and they would check a box off the like I did a church thing list. And then the thing that I would really want them to come to, like our youth group Bible study on Sunday night, like they'd already checked the box. And so they this it was like by by over scheduling I've created too much noise for the things that I really wanted people to be participating in and doing mm. that I thought would strengthen our group dynamic that would really grow people closer uh, to Jesus. That all just got drowned out in the noise of activity because mm. I was believing in the narrative that my productivity is what makes me valuable. Mm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, one, <laughs> That is a hilarious story. And <laughs> that, just hearing that, I mean, that makes me tired. I mean, it's just like, yeah. I mean, thinking of the constant noise and, you know, I mean, laser tag is a fun thing, can be a fun thing with kids, but nine hours is, of anything. Boys. Yes. The reason most games are 15 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to think, you know, as we're talking about these false narratives, it is so interesting. It shouldn't surprise me, but, you know, as we think of, okay, we profess faith in Jesus Christ. We know that our energy and our striving and our earning doesn't do anything before God. That we know that, yes, okay, we are supposed to strive by the Spirit to, to grow and, and sanctification, but Jesus did all of the earning. Jesus did all of the working. But it's like we just start living in these ways that are anti-gospel. That, you know, as we're sitting here talking about this, I mean, Seminary trained, and and I know as you're sharing yeah. the story about the lock-in, you, you know that was pre-seminary. Uh, yeah. I hadn't finished seminary, but still, I mean, we, we fall into these false narratives continually, yep. and we've got to be identifying them. And so maybe, I mean, just as we're saying this, that could be a practical application for those listening, as as well as the two of us recording this. Be thinking constantly, okay, what what are these narratives that we often fall into? Uh, in in our in our ministry, and just continue to to bring these up, and you know, take them to the cross, and remind ourselves of the same truth that we know, but we're so prone to forget. And uh, again, as we're, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm just thinking my, one of my false narratives that I do think fits into this is just ministering in my own strength. Mm. Um, again, very connected to to productivity, like you said, but. But, but ministering in my own strength, like, like the ministry is dependent upon me and my effort. And, you know, I always want to pull back and say that there's an element of, of good that oftentimes when we're, you know, striving to be productive or relying on our strengths, we're, we're actually, you know, relying on gifts that God has indeed bestowed, good things yeah. that God's given us. But we've got to be cautious and see that, you know, it's ultimately not our in our strength that, that we minister. But it's, it's funny, I mean, when I say that, and I know, I mean, people listening, 
it sounds like just an obvious thing. Well, of course, John, we, we know we're not ministering in our own strength, but I, I just remember, and I guess this kind of goes back to some of what I was saying was just, I had to entertain students. Yeah. It was up to me to be funny, to always be on, to always make them laugh, to think, okay, if the minute that I'm, that I cease to entertain them, they're going to go somewhere else and yeah. I better make them laugh. I better make them have a good time that I just felt like a circus clown. I mean, by the end of the night, like I'm just there to, you know, blow up balloons and entertain the kids, do, do tricks or whatever it was. And so oftentimes, you know, after a, a large group meeting on Wednesday night, it's just, I'm exhausted. And, and of course there's a sense in which that's good to be spent and, yeah. and, and all of that. But, um, but yeah, being well, exhausted and, Totally. And what we're doing when we do that, because I, I totally resonate with that, is we're completely building the ministry in an unsustainable way because it's all built on your ability to entertain and sustain people's interest. And so it's, it was so hard. It is so hard for me when um, I see like something that I could do that I also could delegate hmm. to to another student as like a leadership opportunity um, to allow them to do it is very, very hard. And because we're losing control. Um, But it's funny because like me, even like you you talking about always feeling like we need to entertain. Remember someone telling me this really early in ministry, what you win people with, you win them too. Mm -hmm. And if we're trying to win somebody with our personality that's that can be what we win them to mm-hmm. and you know ultimately what we want our students to encounter is we want to encounter them we want them to encounter the person of Jesus mm-hmm. and um, oftentimes I think that that means that means stepping away and let other people um, bear some of the burdens and and let and really letting God work through them and believing that God um, is the primary agent at work in your ministry. And you know, what's, what's funny is that as, as I've seen students take on leadership and whether it's like being an MC or uh, forming a prayer team and asking students to be praying for each other and just kind of giving them the freedom to try something and fail, like really like being okay with, we are going to experience failure because a high school kid's going to run this and they're going to do stuff. That's not, they're, they're going to say something that maybe isn't great as the, for the MC to say, or they're not going to come through, but like we actually, but we have a theology that can, can help us have hope in the midst of like God is at work in the midst of our failures. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's like that is that's been a really hard thing for me to um, to actually believe. <laughs> yeah, oh man! And before we leave this, I mean, just an aspect of this that I, I mean, I just vividly remember was I mean, just how this would uh, come into my my teaching and my preaching. That mm. um, what do you mean? <laughs> it, it, that I mean, I would never just have said this, but I think what I was practicing and what my actions showed that I believe that it wasn't up to the Holy spirit to use the, the truth of God's word. It was up to my energy 
in my yes. teaching and preaching that I had to be very energetic, very funny, very um, edgy at times uh, because I had to, to reach them that it, again, it was up to me. And and always pulling back on this. I mean, there's a sense in which, yeah, I mean, if we need to be engaging in the pulpit, we need to be engaging in our right. classes that we don't need to make the gospel sound boring. So w- without a doubt, there's a sense in which, yeah, we, we need to hopefully as we're preaching this to ourselves, it's, it's permeating through our own hearts and it's just a truth that we can't wait to tell others about, but, but also just that being cautious, I would just find myself so often thinking, okay, I've got to keep their attention and I've got to try hard. It's up to me. And you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we have to, and I think this is something good that uh, Christopher Ash brings up in his book, Zill Without Burnout, the, the truth that we are but dust. Mm. And, and it's, it's can sound harsh and discouraging, but that it's such an encouraging truth and an encouraging book to realize that, you know, there are going to be some lessons you give and some, you know, sermons that you preach where you know, like, that was a dud. And, <laughs> and I, I did not have any energy. Maybe, I mean, John, as you and I are talking, we have five children. Maybe there's one night where the night before we're teaching, yep. we did not get any sleep. And so when you yep. just show up, you have nothing. We, we are, you know, feeling our bodies that are wasting away. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, you know, it, we just realized we, we have nothing to give and we, we've got to, to realize that ultimately it's going to be the spirit that works. It's God's yeah. truth, his word, opening it up, reading from it uh, that we can, we can trust in and not, not our own strength. Yeah. Do we actually believe that God is, that God's strength is perfected in our weakness? Mm, absolutely. That makes, that makes me think that Tim Keller said that our, says our, our job isn't to preach great sermons. Our job is to preach good sermons and the Holy Spirit makes them great. Mm. So, That's good. yeah. And I, I'll, I'll find myself, um, just sweating it over a sermon that I don't think is entertaining enough or engaging enough. And I'll, I'll work to the last minute before I get up there and preach it because I'm stressed about that. And a, a missionary buddy of mine was like trap do your students need you to work an hour more on your sermon or to pray for an hour more about your sermon and <laughs> about their hearts? They listen to your sermon. <laughs> and I told them to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> kid, what does that guy know anyway? Yeah. Um, that's, that's some good advice. Yeah. That, that stings for sure. But that is, that's good. Yeah. Um, that's what's not, another that, one you have? Well, it's funny cause you, you kind of mentioned this, but, um, I asked my wife last night, I was like, what are the false narratives that you see me living? And she, um, she said something, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but she said that the ministry is dependent on your energy. Mm. Um, and I have felt, I have really been feeling this really just this year at Texas, um, that, God has, God has blessed us here and we've got some new students showing up, which has been really exciting. It's been hard for me to not know what's going on with everyone all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm maybe a, I might be a sociopath or I might just be, a, <laughs> maybe I'm just a pastor. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I can, if I get up in front of everyone and I'm preaching and I see someone who's there and I, and I, and I haven't talked to them in a while and they leave and I don't get to touch base with them, I can begin living as if 
I don't think that God can be at working at work in their life unless I'm working in their life, unless mm. I'm doing stuff, unless I'm getting coffee with them, unless I'm talking to them. And um, man, that again, I think is probably all un- underneath that is the the lie of needing to please people, um, and probably the lie of believing that I'm the savior that people need and not Jesus. Um, but I, I have been, I've, I've been sitting in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha this semester um, because I have just seen, I am, I'm so quick to be a Martha distracted with much serving instead of sitting at Jesus's feet like Mary. And um, it, it is just kind of the soil of my heart to bend in that direction. Um, yeah, that's, and I've got, um, uh, yeah, mentioned, and this is something I think we've brought up on the Parenting Today podcast, maybe even uh, this podcast, The Local Youth Worker, but uh, Brian Habig's sermon, uh, mm-hmm. those who are listening might know, but uh, I think it's entitled The Overwhelm and the One yep. Thing, Mary and Martha. Um, such, a, such a good, yeah, good sermon uh, that we need to hear and yeah, just being reminded about um, rest. But I mean, that one, you, you just saying being the savior of the ministry. Um, that, I mean, that is a huge false narrative. Um, especially, I don't know if I should say, especially in youth ministry. I mean, it seems like it's the same in college as well as, you know, it's just men. Oh, I, I think it's especially in youth ministry because I think that's how they're hired. That's how youth ministers are hired sometimes. Yeah, to yeah. Be the savior of the youth ministry. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, we're dealing with, younger people who one, I mean, oftentimes they think we're the hero. I mean, they think we are the coolest, we're the funniest person they've ever met. We're the most athletic person they've ever met that we're the most at all of these things um, to them, you know, in their short lifespan. And so Mm -hmm. we know ultimately their, their hearts are longing for Jesus, but they're going to make us Jesus. And so what happens is we start to like that. And we start to like the worship they're giving us and we start to feed off of that. Mm-hmm. And so we do want to become the savior of the ministry. And so I think to your point, I mean, going back to the importance of delegation, I mean, the more you can delegate in ministry, the more you can remind yourself and the students, this ministry is not about you. Yeah. Um, that, that this ministry, I mean, you know, by God's grace, it seemed like, you know, towards the, the end of my time at Pear Orchard, I, I would often try to say, um, you know, I can die tomorrow and this ministry is going to go on. Um, this ministry is not about me. It's not about the other staff. This is Christ's church. This is his youth group. Um, he's going to raise up other leaders. And, and you know, there's, a, there's a, um, I think it's Mark DeVries who said, we, we've got to see that we are all interims. Yes. That we're all going to be replaced, uh, every one of us. Um, and so, yeah, again, just delegation, I think that can help with that savior complex that we can often struggle with and just reminding our students. It's not, not about us. You know, what's funny about that too, is the students that I delegated to now that I, like there were students in my youth ministry that I asked to do stuff and they maybe weren't even mature enough to do it, but I just kind of asked them to do it. Um, as I grew older in youth ministry and matured and stopped trying to do uh, lock-ins every single night. Um, I, uh, as I look and see like the adults that they've become, many of them are the ones who are serving their church now. 
it's almost like the, it's not just that it's teaching us to let go of the reins of our ministry and to believe that, that Jesus is the only full-time pastor of the church, <laughs> but also there is something very instructive and good for the, our parishioners to, to actually give them opportunities to serve. Cause that's really when you learn a lot of what you actually believe and um, what you think about things is when you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And many of the students that, um, that I see who've grown up now and are young adults in the church, um, a lot of them are the ones that I asked to do stuff when I was, uh, when I was, when they were in our youth path ministry. So, um, that's good. Yeah. I think, I think another one that, that has to be high on the list is, uh, is about numbers, hmm. not the book of the Bible, not, not any rip on that, but just, you know, I mean, oftentimes it, it is interesting when you're talking to somebody about, you know, your youth group, your church, well, how, how many do you have in your group? I mean, that, yeah. that's a question you often get. And, that can be an innocent question. That can just be a question where there, there's no motives of, you know, just kind of comparing sizes of church, um, but, but numbers kind of determining the success or the failure, you know, of an event. And, you know, I just referenced Mark DeVries a minute ago, and I think it was from his book, Sustainable Youth Ministry, where he says, you know what, numbers are important to a certain degree. I think he said, you know, Right. We can't say they don't matter. Yeah. I mean, and he said, you know, like, I think he gave the example that he has three children and if they were leaving, you know, six flags and his wife said, do we have our children? Well, we've got two of them. That's, that's good. Enough. <laughs> the numbers don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's saying, you know, in your youth ministry and your college ministry, it's good to know how many people, yeah, you know, is, has the Lord placed in your, yeah. Who is he interested in? Yeah. yeah. And so trying to keep up with that, but also at the same time, um, to know we can be way too dependent and way too focused on that. And to know totally. that, um, you know, it could be that, you know, doing what the Lord has called us to do. And like you said earlier, uh, making the comfortable uncomfortable, um, that, that might actually whittle down the number that yeah. you're, you're dealing with. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're quote unquote failing. Right. Uh, but that, that plays a big part in ministry. Yeah. That makes me think too of, uh, one, a narrative that I, um, see myself falling into um that kind of goes along with like as i'm believing the false narrative that numbers are what will justify me as a minister um is also the lie that cool people are going to be the people who build my ministry Hmm. um so the people that i target for one-on-one meetings, the people that I'm really making sure to disciple, the people that I'm really going to recruit to come to uh, our conference or our mission trip are the cool people. And A, like, it's just like totally not biblical at all. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of how Jesus like built his ministry. (laughs) Um, and I remember talk, uh, talking to a guy uh, who's a youth pastor at First Present Houston, who I just really, I really admired his ministry and um, the youth ministry of that church. And he is a cool guy. Like, he was an assistant football coach for like the Vikings at some point, like just really wow. just a neat dude. Um, and he said that that was kind of his bent when he showed up. Like it was easy to, um, to do that 
um, to just be like, we're going to go out and get the cool kids. Um, but what really, he said, what really changed the culture of his ministry was seeing the, seeing who has God already brought here to us and we're going to love them really well. And he said, what ended up happening is when a cool kid would kind of walk into their ministry, a cool kid who for pretty much every other hour of his life is told that he's justified based on being cool Hmm. and the things that he's doing to be cool. When he walked into that youth ministry and saw all these people who aren't necessarily quote unquote cool being loved and that you can be loved, not based on that kind of self justification that it, it actually became a magnetic force that brought in all kinds of students, students who weren't cool, but also students who were cool. And, um, I mean, it makes me even think of a story of my own, my own youth group. We had this kid who just became like a folk hero in our youth ministry. And he was quirky, but everyone loved him because um, we just got to know who he really was. Mm-hmm. And I remember, his, <laughs> this is kind of a funny youth minister story, but for the first thing he came on with us, he was in, he, was a rising sixth grader. So, I mean, re- like just a baby, you know, <laughs> and we did a summer retreat with our middle school group. We were staying at the boys were staying at a beach house in Galveston. The girls were staying at another house like, down the beach from us. And, uh, we've like been doing activities the whole day and it's time for everyone to like get in a room. And he had shown up, a couple of boys had shown up late and they hadn't like put their, their, sleeping bags in a, in a room yet and so everyone's kind of sorting out where they're going to be and there's one room with just two beds in it and of course that kid is in that room and nobody else wants to go in that room with him uh. and uh i go down <laughs> i go downstairs to uh where the other boys are and i'm like hey uh y'all like get off like one of them's like on the floor because he wants to be in that room like get off the floor <laughs> need to come sleep in the room like well, well and like one of them finally agrees to to come up there and i'm like hey this will be great you'll help you and this kid i mean these kids could not be more different the kid who's coming upstairs is like kind of <laughs> like inner city kid um loves sports and this other kid is like a suburban kid who likes um just really just kind of into what's that game Minecraft or whatever, you know, he's like that kind of kid, you know, he's kind of an engineering type. Um, so I'm like, all right guys, like <laughs> y'all, uh, y'all get in bed, y'all quiet down. Um, y'all, y'all should get to know each other. And, um, I'm closing the door and the, the, um, the, in, the Minecraft kid is like, is it okay if we talk a little bit before we go to sleep? And I'm like, sure, buddy. Like, Shut yeah. your mouth and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were in the room with me. That's what I said. But I'm like, sure, buddy. You guys can talk. And as I'm closing the door, I hear Minecraft boy roll over in bed and look at the other kid and go, so do you like to cook? <laughs> <laughs> Two things are funny about that. Obviously, do you like to cook? But – that's your calling a Minecraft boy. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And like Minecraft boy is a complete legend. Uh, like, 
at our church. I mean, every, any Christ-seeking person who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. And well, that, we I'd... all love him. And he, and he really, over the years, has complete, his life in our ministry has completely enriched everyone's experience of the church. And he's actually, turns out, really cool. Hmm. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> he's a really cool kid and everyone loves him. Um, yeah. But cool people don't grow our ministry. Mm. What what are the chances that a Minecraft boy will listen to this? I hope he's listening. There's a decent chance. I don't know. I'll send it to him. He knows that story about himself. I've told it to him. (laughs) (laughs) But that is, I mean, yeah, favoritism, partiality. I mean, we we know, I mean, that is something, you know, all those in ministry and just life for that matter. I mean, there there are going to be people we're just naturally drawn to and people that just have that kind of personality that, that make it easy to like them and easy to kind of enfold them into the ministry. But as we said, I mean, we're dealing with so many different personalities in ministry. And so we, we do have to be, be cautious um, of, I mean, even asking ourselves that yep. question, okay, who am I often hanging out with? Whenever there's a large group, Am I always with this one group? Am I moving around talking to other groups? Am I, uh, you know, talking to the student who might not be the easiest, you know, the complete introvert who will not hardly look at you in the eyes and will not care in a conversation? You know, are we willing just to kind of enter in with them and just be uncomfortable, awkward, know that it's going to be just a one-sided conversation. <laughs> yeah. We're just kind of having with ourselves, but yeah, um, no, that's, that's an important one uh, to bring up. Um, John, one that, that I was thinking of was just kind of uh, <clears throat> pats on the back in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, j- just that, that my worth was dependent upon people giving me praise yeah. Um, people, uh, you know, noticing the ministry that I was doing and noticing the work that I was putting in and that, you know, my happiness was dependent upon, yeah, other people's praise uh, that, that I had to, yeah, um, I, that I just fed, fed off of that and that, you know, I would be discouraged or depressed if there wasn't enough um, mm. thanks or praise. Totally. Yep. I, and we even like develop ways to kind of fish for the pat on the back. Like, <laughs> man, that was a really tough text to preach. I hope people, I hope people got it. And everyone's like, Oh, you did great. Like they, you, we all, oh, we all really appreciate Oh, thanks. I'm so glad to hear that. I was so worried that they weren't going to get it. I'm so glad to hear. It. I mean, yeah, we become masters of fishing for mm. those kind of pats because we, that's where we're looking for our justification. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, I'd, I'd be curious if you've experienced this as a pastor uh, or just someone in ministry. One that's like, like a little bit more personal for me is the narrative that I don't belong. Hmm. Um, and I, part of this was like my, my own experience of like, I kind of have like felt that way a lot in my life. Like I was much younger than my brother and sister. So I kind of felt like, um, you know, they had their own social group and I didn't belong in that or, or even feeling like kind of a, I grew up in a very blue collar town, but I was not like a blue collar kind of kid. I ended up going to Vanderbilt. Um, and 
just did not feel like I always belonged there. And then when I got to Vanderbilt, I didn't feel like I belonged there because I was from the blue collar town. I didn't know anyone or anything about that school and I had no idea what was going on. Hmm. Um, but that also has been my experience um, with being a pastor. I'm like going to our kids, our kids are in public school, um, going to the daddy and donuts thing. And like, I'm there in jeans and a t-shirt. So I'm about to go to campus and everyone else is in like their work clothes, their, their work clothes, which maybe don't look like my work clothes. Um, or being at the little league park and talking to someone and at them asking me, Hey, what do you, so what do you do? And you know, that it's just like, it's all like the dreaded question. Cause you're either going to get like, Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, That's good. Uh, the oh shoot! I'm going to rewind this conversation, the last 20 minutes of this conversation, in my head and see if I make sure I didn't say anything that I need to apologize for, or I'm just going to like get really awkward and like kind of leave. Soon. Yeah. Um, or even kind of uh, in that same conversation, kind of the the pat on the head. Oh, that's cute. Or yeah, that's you know so that's a nice. Good thing. Yeah. It's so great that you do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I I have uh, found that it's it's easy for me to look at kind of like external things like that and to tell myself that because of, again, maybe it's part, maybe part of it's because I'm finding so much of my identity in my job already. Hmm. Uh, and that I think other people are, are finding that amount, that same level of ad- ad- identity in me as I am in me. Um, but I tell myself that I don't belong in that, um, and that makes it really hard to, to develop friendships and community with people mm. because I, I'm, I'm believing the lie that I'm either unworthy of friendship or I don't belong in a kind of community that, uh, where we can have fr- friendship. Um, and that is just, I have seen, I've kind of seen the, for the first time for me here in Austin, like a, it, it'd be really easy for me to get lonely pretty quickly if mm. I if I didn't push against that somehow. Mm. Now that that's really important. I think that you're bringing up and um, I don't know if I've articulated it that way, but, but, but definitely I, I felt the, the, the desire to belong or felt like I, I did not um, belong. And, and I wonder if some of this, I'd love for you to, to speak to this. Um, and I know some people can kind of debate this as far as um, ministry being a higher calling, uh, that there, that every Christian is called to ministry and called right. to evangelize. There's a sense in which completely agree. But then there's also the sense in which we, we know scriptures say, you know, that teachers will be judged more harshly. Mm. So there is mm. kind of that bar to be raised. I mean, obviously right. when you get into the pulpit and when you're opening up the word and you're saying, thus says the Lord, I mean, that is an intimidating, should be a humbling <laughs> yes. calling. Oh, a weighty responsibility. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if, if that's an aspect of, of ministry that we're going to struggle uh, to feel the sense of belonging because there, there is a sense in which, okay, what we are called to do by God is a different type of ministry um, than, than the other kind of call that, that, that Christians have, that there is a, a uniqueness to it. I mean, there, there's a sense in which we're going to know 
people's brokenness to a greater degree than other right. people's. And, right. you know, a difficulty with, with that too, and I don't know if I'm just getting off on tangents, is, you know, you often do have those students who open up to you, those parents who open up to you. And so as you get up to preach in front of people, sometimes you're thinking, I hope they don't think like I'm just making this point about them. <laughs> but but there mm-hmm. is this kind of paranoia of, okay, yeah. we know a lot of people's baggage. And, and but, but, you know, but it's just, I don't know, it's a weird kind of mind game. Um, yeah. Yeah, paranoia that can just maybe isolate us. But yep. what do you think? Well, that that's for sure true. Um, and I, that's a good, that's a good pushback too of just like, yeah, there's, there are some ways in which, especially particularly if you're uh, an ordained minister who's been entrusted with regularly expositing God's word and administering sacraments even, um, that there is in a sense, a way that you have been, I guess, set apart. Um, for that, for that job. But I, I also think, I mean, I just think about how, how Jesus does ministry, how Jesus has, it sets his disciples up to do ministry in the new Testament, how the book of acts um, unfolds with a lot of ministry happening in the context of people being together mm-hmm. and people not only being reconciled to God, but also reconciled to one another uh, through the gospel. And, mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, this is what, this is where we have just such a treasure trove in, uh, and of resources for, uh, for being known and really feeling a sense of belonging in, by the way, while we are like aliens in a foreign land, I mean, we, we don't, we don't belong here yet. Even like Jesus is going to remake all things new and, yeah. Um, but even still, like we, through the work of Jesus, reconciling us to himself, God adopting us and telling us that we belong to him, then that really is the security. It should be the security for us to lean into that and then go out and look for people, um, that we can kind of belong to and belong with. And who can belong to us? And I think for longevity and ministry, like we just need that. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be everyone. I think when you're because, like, kind of what you're saying, like, um, because of some of the um, oddities of our calling, uh, of the calling of being a pastor, or even being or being a youth worker, um, you know, we need to be careful with who we trust all of ourselves to and tell all of what's going on, but we need that. We've got to have John Cox calls them a uh, uh, body of Christ people. We've got to have body of Christ people in our lives Absolutely. who are, who are speaking the gospel to us who are just, and, and also just like have a group of pastor friends that have been really um, encouraging to me. And one of the things that's most encouraging to me about them is that they don't take themselves too seriously. Mm. Like I just go and have fun with them and, and they don't take me too seriously either, <laughs> which I need, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and does like give a sense of belonging that I really, that I really hunger for. And that I think um, makes 
doing ministry for a decently long time more possible. Hmm. That's a good word, John. I know we're going to start wrapping this up uh, pretty soon. Did you have any other false narratives you, you want to share before we um, maybe start to close this out? I have on my bullet points, the only other one that I had is LeBron is the greatest of all time, but we can talk about that. <laughs> we had most of my main ones I wanted to hit. <laughs> um, something I did want to get you to – to do, I mean, just briefly, this doesn't have to be long. Um, you know, you were in student ministry, you said six years. Is yeah. That right? And now, I mean, mm-hmm. student ministry on the college campus. Yeah. Um, how, how long have you been? It's my, technically my third year. It's kind of my fifth year since I've, I've been doing stuff on campus at UT. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, again, for those out there listening, those local youth workers who, who are thinking, you know, I might want to do college ministry. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, there's so many similarities. Uh, there's also some distinctions, but what are some of the things that, that helped you decide, okay, this is the transition I want to make. I want to move from, you know, ministry in the local church to ministry on a college campus. Maybe just some helpful counsel for those who are, who are listening to this right now who might be wrestling with this decision. What are some thoughts? Man, that's such a good question. The most helpful thing for me, I was talking to my brother is one of my heroes. Um, and he, uh, when I was trying to figure out what to do and if I should do RUF or uh, I was thinking about maybe going back and working for a church, um, he, he asked me a really helpful question. He said, what, what do you think? My wife sends Chrissy. He's like, what, where do you see Chrissy really flourishing? Hmm. And when he said that, it was really a crystallizing moment for me because um Chrissy's just so gifted with her sweet spot is more like um a little bit more mature young women um like middle school is like hard for her you mm-hmm. know what I mean um and she's she has her master's in counseling she was an RUF intern like she's the best listener that I've ever met and super wise and so when he said that, i was like wow that it would she would be such a blessing to have as part of an ruf ministry so that was really helpful for me even just thinking about like where does my where's my family fit into this mm-hmm. um and where's a place that where we can kind of flourish together um so that was helpful um and also it was just kind of a you know where where has God given you um, a real delight and um, where is there a need in the world? And we kind of saw those two things intersect um, with RUF at that time uh, when we were thinking through that. And so um, there was, there was a need for RUF at UT. I remember sitting down with another guy who was doing campus ministry at Texas. And I was like, y'all really need another ministry here. There's over 50 Christian ministries at the University of <laughs> wow. Texas. Wow. And I was like, y'all really need another one here. And he, and I'm not, not, he was like, he was like, actually, there's 50 Christian ministries, but we only reach 12% of the population hmm. of students here. So yes, we need another ministry here. Um, and, and then seeing, you know, part of it too is just kind of like seeing where God has, um, has kind of, giving you some favor and um, nudging you along. And we had started this Bible study and it had just been a really sweet thing. And there were people who weren't Christians that were coming to it, who were becoming Christians. And 
um, that God just kind of used almost our experience to to help confirm that calling for us. Um, and, and also too, even for me thinking about the story that God had written in our lives so far. So, okay. My wife's an REF intern was an REF intern. I've been in like Texas is a kind of a tricky place to do ministry. Um, but it'd be, man, wouldn't it be helpful if the REF campus minister knew a bunch of kids from youth groups in the state of Texas? I mean, that was kind of a really unique thing that um, kind of like gift set and all that stuff aside, like the story that God had kind of written for us was one where mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be starting a ministry at Texas without knowing many people. Like I knew a lot of students already who mm-hmm. were already just walking around on campus who had at some point either been friends of one of my students or had come to a, something that we had done or so that was really helpful too. Just like looking at what's the story God's written for us and um, how would this make sense as the next chapter? Um, so yeah. That, that, yeah. I think that's helpful. I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of good vi- advice there. Um, because I know, I mean, again, yeah, that, that can be a, tough thing to, um, to discern just because like I said, there's so many overlap and similarities and gifts totally, and all yep. of that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's some good advice. Um, John, look, we, we like to ask people about resources before mm-hmm. we close out. So do you have one book recommendation or a podcast or a sermon you've heard or a blog article? Um, that's, you know, just recently you've come across it and you think, this is really helpful. It doesn't have to be specifically youth ministry related, uh, but is there one resource you would like to pass along? Um, there is, if you're, if you're a student uh, or you have students looking for a devotional to go through, um, I, I usually am not like pushing devotionals towards my students. I'm usually like, like hey, like pick a book of the Bible and read through it. Um, what I like about this devotional is that it's essentially that it's called seeking God's face, Hmm. praying with the Bible through the year. And it's a daily, um, kind of almost like a daily liturgy, um, that has Psalm and uh, a new Testament reading. And then, um, it takes prayers from, um, like the book of common prayer, some old, like, um, I think like it, it, um, translates or might kind of makes like the Heidelberg confession and Westminster confession, even into prayers and some, uh, it's really, really rich and good. Who, uh, who put this out? Um, it's by Philip Reinders. And I, another RUF campus minister turned me on to it and I have given it to all of our, we have a prayer team on RUF. And so, um, I've given, I bought the book and gave it to all of our RUF prayer team members. And, um, there's space in it for free prayer too, but it even has like, like, Hey, here's one, here's some things you could pray for, um, today. Like, so it'll, and it's kind of, it'll be like random stuff, like pray for artists or pray for the Mm -hmm. continent of South America or pray, um, pray for people who are elderly, um, or in retirement centers. And, um, I think it's just been really good for my, it's been good for me. It's been good for, uh, for our students who kind of struggle with knowing like where to start um, and reading the Bible. And it's, it seems re- it's very thoughtfully put together the prayers and the passages and stuff. So 
That's good. Yeah. And that's one I've not heard of. It sounds like something that could be, be helpful. Uh, John, look, this has been fun. I've enjoyed this conversation, even though yeah, we're, we're churning up false narratives that we can buy into. <laughs> <laughs> false um, news. Yeah. R-I-M podcast, false news edition. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I mean, not I think, I know this will be encouraging to others because we are all buying into these false narratives and it's just good to to reflect and, you know, have some of your story weaved in there uh, as well. So, and remind me, John, are you going to be a main speaker at one of the conferences? I am. I'm, I'm at uh, Middle School Texas this year. All right. And you actually, you helped to start Middle School Texas, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That one, um, if I'm it's not to see what it's become. Yeah. I mean, it's to capacity. We had to start a waiting list, uh, you know, after the first week of registration. So, um, it's all because of you, John. Yeah, um, not only right. did you start it, but because you're speaking, but, um, but yeah, yeah that's my false narrative speaking right now. I'm not listening to that. That was a test, John. Good job. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, uh, who are signed up for middle school, Texas, you'll be getting to hear John this summer. Um, yeah, enjoyed it again, John. Hope uh, the rest of your weekend goes well. And um, yeah, thanks to all those who have tuned in. We hope you're enjoying the longer format. Just a reminder, we've got timestamps in the show notes, so that'll help you navigate the, the episode and uh, go back and uh, listen and reflect on, as we said, this some of those false narratives that you're buying into. So uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, have a good day. Without money, oh, come and feast without pay. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave.